Uh, Lord, as we come to this, uh, we are so grateful that we have your words on the pages in front of us. Um, that we live in a country that we can openly have it, that we can carry it with us, that we can have it on t-shirts um, and not be uh, in hiding or fear of death in any way. Uh, but at the same time, uh, because of that freedom, we may take it for granted. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that as we come to these words, uh, that they would be alive to us, that they would be precious to us, uh, that they would be our anchor and our life and the direction and the truth. Uh, I pray that you help us to fall in love with your word and its guidance and direction for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 17, beginning in verse 15. Uh, again, Jesus is, is having this prayer. He's praying for his disciples. He starts in 15, uh, or continues in 15 rather, saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And, and I just think that's, again, it's a really um, interesting statement that he's making here. Uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago because I don't know as if that would necessarily be any one of our plants uh, if we were putting ourselves into God's position. Like, like here's somebody who believes in me. Here's somebody who trusts in me. Uh, and so therefore, like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, let me get him out of hardship. Like, like, let me get them out of difficulty. Let me get them out of, out of the problem. But he's saying here, I'm not praying that I take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Uh, and again, the, this statement here is that, that they were protected from Satan. That, that we're protected from him. That we can't be stolen from him. That, that he can't destroy us. He's not saying that we're protected from problems in life. He's not saying that we're protected from difficulties in life. In fact, how many other times have we been going up to this point where he's saying it's going to be difficult. But I'm going to work through that in you. I'm going to use that in your lives to, to grow you and to be the light around you. But he's praying for this protection um, that we're protected by God's power that, that we cannot be separated from Christ. Uh, verse 16, talking about us again. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Uh, and so again, the whole point of this, he's saying, I'm, I'm sending you into the world. Uh, your purpose is to glorify Christ, uh, to make him known, uh, and that we're protected kind of as we do that. And this morning, though, what we're going to be focusing on really is, is his prayer for us to be sanctified. Which then begs the question, what is, what is sanctified? What does sanctified mean? Uh, this particular word in Greek is Strong's G37, uh, hagiazo, which means to dedicate to God, uh, to be purified for use, uh, to become holy. And so it's this, this example of like setting something aside and, and dedicating it for a special purpose. Uh, we think within uh, the Old Testament. And Samuel, you know, his, his mother goes to the temple and, you know, she's looking for a, a child and, and she becomes pregnant. And in that, she's like so grateful to God. She's like, like this child is, is like dedicated, sanctified, set aside for the purpose of, of serving you in the temple. Uh, and so then Samuel grew up and, and did that within the temple. Or uh, the different utensils within the temple. Like, like here is this bowl that's meant for incense, not for Cheerios. 
right? And so the priest couldn't go in and be like, you know, all my dishes are dirty uh, and, and I got to have my, you know, whatever your favorite breakfast cereal is. And so let me just grab this bowl here in like this holy place and I'll make sure I wash it later. Like, like it was a, like a forbidden thing they wouldn't even contemplate because this bowl is, is consecrated, it's sanctified, it's set aside for a specific purpose um, that is used unto God and not meant for other things. And so uh, it's that whole idea, this is what sanctified means. Set aside for a purpose, but specifically uh, a holy purpose, a righteous purpose, or, or for God. Uh, even in this, we find in the passage this morning, verse 19, Jesus is saying that he's sanctified, set aside. In verse 19, it says, I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. And so essentially what he's saying is like, like right now, in this moment, I'm set aside for a specific purpose. I'm here to accomplish a specific thing. That, it, that it's not just his own desires. It's not just whatever he wants to do. Even, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll come to this in a little bit, but he's off by himself praying and the stress about what he's about to face like becomes as drops of blood as he's sweating. Uh, and he says this in Mark 14. Uh, he says, Abba, Father, as he prays, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so it's this whole sense of even in that moment, Jesus is acknowledging, like, I'd rather not head to the cross. Like, I, I don't want to experience in this human body everything that I'm about to go through. It's going to be this very, very difficult situation. I'd rather not do this. But yet, your will be done, not mine. It's this sense of him consecrating himself for the purpose of heading to the cross. It was the very purpose in which he came down to the earth in order to offer up a sinless life for a sacrificial death. To accomplish something. He couldn't just come down and, and do whatever he wanted. And I think it would be kind of cool. Like, you know, he's a carpenter, but he's God. You know, like, like think of like the cool tables he could have built. You know, and, and not even really sweating that hard. Like, forget the hammer and the nails. Like, let there be an oak inlaid table with some mother of pearl. You know. And okay, cool, now I can get some money, right? Or even when Satan's like, Tempting him. He's like, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They could be yours. And, and Jesus in that moment is like, no. Like, like I'm here for a purpose. This, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm sanctified to do. I'm here to accomplish this death on the cross because what that will do is purchase redemption for humankind that's been living in sin and separated from God. The purpose of this is to restore mankind's relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins. That's why he says, I, I sanctify myself for them. I, I come with the purpose, I'm setting aside my life for us here this morning. So that they may also be sanctified by the truth. He, he's setting himself aside to accomplish something so that we then can be set aside. And that wasn't even possible without that forgiveness of sins. And so we must recognize, like, when he's talking about us being sanctified, it's not by our own abilities. 
It's not by our own strength. It's simply what Jesus Christ has accomplished. I, I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by truth. Without Jesus' work on the cross, there is no setting ourselves aside. There is no dedicating ourselves to a holy purpose in serving God. It, it is only made possible by Jesus Christ. Through that we find the forgiveness of our sins, the adoption to the family of God, uh, the righteousness of Christ is what we're then clothed with uh, because that's how God chooses to seize us uh, in the redemption that we have in Jesus. But you also notice how our sanctification happens in here. By truth. Right? So, so it only is possible because of Jesus, but it says that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Continues in verse 16. He says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This idea of, of truth and being sanctified by that is something that we need to grasp. There, there's these different aspects of, of being sanctified, being made holy in Jesus Christ. And the first and foremost is what we cannot do within our own strength. And that's through, again, the redemption of Jesus Christ. And, and in that, we're, we're purchased by his blood. And he calls us then a people. He then creates us into his body, into the church. This is something that God alone does that we can't do. And, and it's as though we're in darkness and we're chained to sin. And he busts down the door at the cross, frees us from that through the forgiveness of our sins. And then invites us into this great eternal adventure with him as his brothers and sisters, as the adopted children of God. Saying, now I have a purpose for you. Now let's go accomplish my work together. Like there's this amazing thing that happens where, where he chooses us and then says, I'm setting you aside because I have purpose for your life. There's this amazing sanctification that happens with that. That if we don't grasp it, it loses some of its effectiveness in the way it practically plays out in our life. Doesn't change that it's true. But the way that it plays out in our life can be affected. I think back to some of the utensils within the temple. And, and you have like these golden bowls for the incense. And then here's like this spoon over here that's meant to do something else. And like everything's kind of like laid out on the table. And, and what happens is like they're used for a very specific thing. But what if somebody comes in there and they're like, you know, I... I kind of lost my pooper scooper. And, and they grab one of those utensils, right? And, and they go and clean out the litter box. Or they pick up after their dog in the yard or, or whatever else it is, right? How do you think that utensil looks? Not necessarily pleasant. Like, like I don't like the idea of cleaning out the pooper scooper at home because, like, it's just gross. Uh, right? But does it change what it actually is? It doesn't. It's still a gold utensil, right? Doesn't change what it actually is and what its actual purpose is. However, somebody's making a choice to use it for a purpose that it's not meant for. And in that, it is not accomplishing, not fulfilling 
itself. There's not that fulfillment of God's design for that. And it results in a little bit of mess, right, for the utensil. It's the same thing for us in our lives. When, when we come to salvation, when we come to the point where we acknowledge that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that all we can do is submit to him and say, Lord, I want you to work in my life. I, I set myself aside to, to follow you. I, I give up the world. I give up my own desires. I give up my own plans, my own purposes. What I think is right, what I think is wrong, I give up all of that. And I fully submit to you. In that moment of redemption and forgiveness, we find ourselves purchased by the blood of Christ. And in that, we are already set apart by God for his purposes. Set apart by God to be lights in the world, to be his ambassadors. And Second Peter, we covered it. We're, or we weren't a people before, but now we are a royal priesthood. Like, like there is a purpose given to us now for all of eternity that, that should usurp all other priorities, all other preferences that we have in our life. We're turned into utensils of God. And, and yet we still have a choice then. Like, like what do we do in our life? And, and that's where I'm getting to this aspect of being sanctified by, by truth and that the word is truth. The, the sanctification is accomplished by God. He sets us aside. But then we have this option in our life to say, okay, I'm fully submitting to that. Or I'm going to pull double duty with this golden utensil. And I'm going to do some stuff for God with my life and my body. And, and then I'm going to kind of play around in the dirt a little bit because I don't want to give these things up. And let me just kind of swap back and forth. And it ends up really causing almost this confused spirituality in our life where we don't find the completion, that teleos of joy that Jesus promised because we're not walking fully in that sense of how he set us aside, how, how he has sanctified us. That through the conquering of sin and death, we've been set free from those things. We're no longer blinded by Satan, our own desires. We're no longer captive to sin and our own impulses. Uh, but rather, we've been set free in this uh, amazing Holy Spirit-empowered life. In fact, in Ephesians um, chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's talking about the, the very power that raised Christ from the grave is now at work within our lives, changing us, transforming us, and, and causing us to, to walk according to that purpose. And so if we can grasp onto that truth, I think it changes the way that we live. I think that we allow ourselves Again, if we're that golden spoon, if we're the utensil set aside for God, I think that we allow ourselves to be used for multiple purposes because we don't grasp this truth. We don't grasp fully that we've been set free from sin and death. We don't grasp fully that we've been given everything we need for lives of godliness and righteousness. We don't grasp the truth that there is no temptation that is ours that is not common to man and that there's always a way of escape for it. If we don't grasp onto those truths, if those truths aren't our reality, then it's really easy to allow ourselves to, to slide or be tempted to, to use our consecrated lives, our bodies, our minds, our souls, the totality of who we are 
to be used for purposes that are of the world that end up making a mess in our life. Instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm consecrated to God. Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Because that's still dabbling in the fresh step of the world. Right? It's still dealing with kitty litter. It's still acting as though we're captive to sin and impulses. But if we see the truth of God's existence and our need for him, we're compelled to turn to him for salvation. If you're here and you're redeemed by the blood of Christ, that has happened. You, you've seen the beauty and the reality of who Jesus is. And in that moment, you're like, I've got nothing else. I, I must cry out to him. I must call out. I must ask for forgiveness. And we find ourselves in that moment of salvation with no other option but to say, Jesus, you are Lord. That truth impacted us for all of eternity. But, but the truth is, this, this sanctification, this setting apart, this moving on in our life continues on based in the truth of through the death and resurrection of Christ, who we now are. That, that moment of clarity and revelation of Jesus is Lord and I must ask for forgiveness and submit to him it should be that same clarity of moment of I now live a holy life set apart from this world. And I can no longer follow after my every desire, but every desire I have must be submitted to him. I'm not saying that we don't get to say, you know, Lord, I'd really like to go fishing today. It's not that at all. Lord, I'd like to go fishing. Can I? You know, can, can, can I go and I worship you as I'm sitting out in a boat and watching the sunrise and, and spending time with you? Like, like all of that is then in submission. Our desires are, are in submission to him, right? Then we come across the desire, um, you know, I'd really like to cheat on my wife or sleep with this person. No. Like, like, like it's so clear to us in scripture, like some of our desires that are rooted in flesh and rooted in the world and are sinful, like we have this clear direction, but if it's all submitted under him, we don't necessarily have to worry anymore about, is this hobby okay? Is this hobby not okay? Lord, how can I do this unto your glory? How can I do this in worship unto you? How can we do this together? And if we operate within that life and saying my life is set apart for the glory and goodness of God and everything is submitted under that, it, it isn't this no, 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 no. But it is, what is it accomplishing? What is it accomplishing in my body, my mind, my soul, my life as I worship God? Is there a benefit to this? Is there true rest in this that allows me to continue my service of God? Or is this rest something that is just a distraction, that has no benefit whatsoever? It changes the way we look at everything. If, if we have, we even turn this into the concept of, of a budget, right? A financial budget. We have this goal over here that we want to buy a house, Right? So, so here's this goal to buy a house, and we've got a budget, and what do we do then? We start saving up. We're consecrating, in a sense, where we're setting aside that money here. 
And now I don't want to touch it. I don't want to use it to go to a baseball game. I don't want to use it to, to go out to eat too much. If, if I do that, that amount of money that I've set aside isn't available for the use of, of purchasing a house. We, we do this all the time, right? And so then what it comes down to is if we have this goal in our life and we're doing this financially, everything that comes up now becomes, does this align with the goal that I have to buy this house? I want to buy some shoes. Here's some shoes that are $70. Here's some shoes that are $140. Really want to buy this house. All right, let's buy the ones for $70. Let's take the other $70 and put it towards the house. Oh, here's an opportunity to go on vacation. Well, you know, that's a couple thousand dollars we could put towards the Like it starts to frame all of those choices, and we don't feel like it's restrictive at all in the moment because we have a goal. Like, like this is what we're actually working for. It's the whole concept of being consecrated to God. We're not working for a goal. We've actually been given the goal of being in Christ through his death on the cross. The, the truth of the reality is that we are now in him and our whole life is about him and not about us because we want to see him glorified in our life. And if we get to a point where that is the truth of our reality, of our existence, of our life, of our motives, of our goals, it doesn't result in all these little restrictions. It's just saying, this choice that I'm facing, does it align with who I am and who God is? If it does, do it in freedom and in worship and in joy with Christ. If it doesn't, it shouldn't be like a, oh, bummer. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. It's just saying that doesn't align with who I am. Why would I even want it in my life? Why do I want to go down that path? And so again, this is why I think it's so important that he's saying that this sanctification in the truth, that his word is truth, it is so important for us to be able to grasp. Because we live in a society, in a world that, that considers truth as fluid. That, that it's truth in the eye of the beholder. What is truth to you? I was watching a documentary um, where this guy is, is going around and he's doing an interview and he's just asking people on the street, what is a woman? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty decent documentary. What, what is a woman? And, and so he's going around and um, there's some people that just don't even want to answer the question. And, and there's some people that are like, well, you know, a woman knows that they're a woman. Okay. And, and so, like, then he says, like, well, what if I'm a woman? And the response was, well, good for you. Okay. Well, what if I'm an alien that has come from a galaxy far, far away and I can jump buildings in a single bound? And I'm making this up, but, but he said something similar to that that was equally as ridiculous. And, and literally the response to him in that moment was, well, if that's your truth then. And he said then, well, what if my truth is you don't exist? And the person's response was, maybe I don't. And, and it was just this saddening moment to watch. As somebody who has a worldview of truth being in the eye of the beholder and, and it being fluid to go so far to say, 
Well, if your reality is that I don't exist, maybe I don't exist. Maybe we don't all exist. And there's just, there's no logic in it, but, but rather that this holding with an iron clench onto essentially wanting to create their own reality, their own existence, and wanting everything, everybody else to be able to do the same thing. And, and the logic of that is simply impossible. Maybe I think there's no roof. Um, maybe you think it's a glass roof. We can't all be right on that. And if it starts raining and I'm right, we're all wet. But that's not going to happen because there's a roof, right? <laughs> the truth is, there's a roof. And the whole point of this is there is truth. There is absolute truth. We are standing on a solid surface. We're not falling 20 feet down into the old space that we used to meet. That, that is truth. There is reality. We, we shape our world and our community and society around what is real and what is true. And, and the more that people don't accept that, the more chaotic our society has been getting and, and will continue to get. But, but even within that, there's this aspect of truth that God exists and that we were created by him, spoken out of nothing, just because he wanted to. The truth that, that he spoke all things into existence, but it was only mankind that he made in his image, that he breathed into. It was only mankind that he said, I, I give you dominion over the rest of the world. It was only mankind who rebelled against him and, and brought sin and death into the world that is radiated out into the broken thing that we see in the world today. It was only mankind that God himself in Jesus Christ came down to satisfy the, the debt, to sanctify himself for us. It was only through that that we find redemption with a God who spoke us into existence. And then we see what he tells us and that his love and his grace and his mercy, he rescued us. Not because of anything that we did, but out of his love and his desire to be with us. Not that he needed us for all of eternity. He just wants us to be there. Not just does he want us to be there, but he actually tells us, I want to accomplish things here on this world with you. Like, I've got a plan, and this plan is going to happen no matter what, because I'm God and I say it is. But I want to do it with you. All of these things are, are true. All of these things anchor what reality is. And, and any other striving to live outside of that is truly um, a desire to be our own God. It's truly a desire to create our own reality. Even to the point where if we recognize ourselves that, that we're saved and, and we're set aside for the purposes of God, and yet there's these other little aspects in our earthly life or sins that we don't want to deal with, or we're going to, I'm going to deal with that later, and we allow ourselves to, to kind of be used for both purposes, we're creating in our mind our own reality of existence that is not true. It's not. 
Because we are consecrated, we are set aside, we are made holy through the blood of Christ. Not that, that we ourselves have done anything, but when God looks at us, he sees what Jesus Christ has done and that we are called not to do those things anymore. That, that is the truth of the reality and he's given us everything that we need to avoid dabbling in the petty things of this world. We have to be able to walk within that truth. We have to be able not to be conformed to the desires of, of this world. Romans 2, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Again, if the reality is God exists, he's rescued us, and he has a plan for our life, our choice is do we submit to that plan or do we try and dabble, or do we say forget his plan? So if we believe is true, we submit to the plan. God, the best life I could possibly have, the complete fulfilling of all joy is only with you. How do I do this? He's been telling us in this passage all along by saying, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. This word here, uh, for word, is logos. It's referring to, to Jesus as the logos in John chapter 1. The, the word was, the word was God. But it's also referring to Scripture. It's referring to the Bible. Because as we look at the Bible, we learn about who God is. Intellectually and Spiritually. To truly know who he is and, and what his plans are, what his purposes are. We, we get to see the nature and character of Jesus Christ. We get to see his firmness against the Pharisees when they're spiritually blinding themselves and leading others down that path. But we also get to see the incredible grace and mercy as he speaks to a woman that's about to be stoned and says, I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more. We get to know his character and his nature. We get to understand and learn of our nature and, and our existence as humans. Both when we're blinded and, and dead in sin. And, and then also what our purpose and new life in as new creations are after his resurrection and after our salvation. Both of those things are within scripture. And we see the need to be freed by Christ, but then we also see this is how we should live. That we're no longer of this world. We're consecrated. We're set apart. Through Scripture, we discover what our purpose in life is. And then we learn how to grow towards that purpose. What are the steps that we're able to do? What are the things that hinder that, that we need to get rid of in our life? What the enemy will try and do in order to steal, distort, or cause us to disbelieve the truth that is setting us apart from the world. We learn that we are sanctified by Christ and his choice. Truth must be the bedrock of our existence. And I believe that's why in Ephesians, when it's talking about the armor of God, it refers to truth as the belt. That it's something that holds all things together. That, that truth actually means accepting that we're saved in the helmet of salvation. That this is, is there and the truth of that salvation changes us forever. The breastplate of righteousness. That if truth 
is we are righteous because we are covered by Christ, that should eliminate all shame. It should. And so we need to fight to understand the truth that we don't have shame in this life if we've been forgiven by Christ. Because he endured the shame of the cross in order to remove that from us. We find all of that truth within Scripture and we learn how to fight against the attacks of the enemy. Uh, we learn, again, that we are sanctified by God in this truth. Anything else living outside of that truth is, again, trying to be our, our own God. And as others continue to go down that path, as we see our world grasping at multiple versions of reality, and in fact, the media and movies are full of multiverse and other things right now. We just recognize, like, like even within entertainment, it's, it's exploring this idea that, that actually fragments and minimizes and devalues our true existence and our true reality. Because maybe there's a multiverse. Maybe there's another version of me out there somewhere who heads up a Satan cult. But I'm the pastor one. Like, like that's what they're exploring through entertainment. And, and really what it is, is this reflection of people trying to choose, maybe not to that extent, but choose their own reality, choose their own identity, to choose their own path and what's true to them, even to the point where they're saying, maybe I don't exist. Maybe I'm a wolf in a human's body. We chuckle, but it's out there. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on TikTok. That is out there as people are designing whatever they think that their reality ought to be. And so then if, if we are holding to the fact that there is one truth, one reality in Jesus Christ that governs our actions, and then all of our life, everything we do submits to that reality, it's going to stand out as a light in the darkness but it's also going to cause opposition. Those that try to create their own realities are going to be confronted by us saying there's only one reality, and it's Jesus. In that, they may become hostile, as we've been learning throughout this, as Jesus has been preparing his disciples. It's why he prays in verse 15, I pray that you, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. They're not of the world as I am not of the world. It is the truth that's been revealed to us, the truth that has been spoken into existence, the, the truth that is the bedrock of, of everything that we experience within this life that gives us salvation, that reveals to us what sanctification is as we see our need for Jesus Christ. And, and all of that we find truth. And so by holding to that truth, we continue to be set apart but it continues to work in us. What else does truth give us? Truth gives us unity. We looked at this in Ephesians chapter 4. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body. We're united with our brothers and sisters throughout the world that have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are not alone as we face the difficulties within this world. We find unity in this. We find protection through truth. 
Because we realize in Romans chapter 8, he says that, that neither tribulation nor sword nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take us out of the hand of God. We are protected. Even as we face difficulty, we may lose our physical life here. This body might be crushed by a roof that's not there falling down on me. Right? Whatever might happen, but who I am, my, my soul, my spirit, who God has created me to be eternally, this physical world can do nothing to. We're protected for all of eternity. And, and the more that we feel our sense of protection or safety shaken by things that happen within the world, it actually shows us that, that we're not fully holding to the truth of God's word, but that we're kind of holding to the truth of protection where we do want a roof over our head. We do want certain things within our life. The truth gives us courage, knowing again that nothing this world can do can affect our eternal standing with God. Courage to continually point to the truth, even as it becomes increasingly unpopular in our culture. Because we realize those outside of understanding this are in darkness, are in spiritual death, are facing an eternity in hell without Jesus Christ. And it gives us courage to be able to point to that saying, we just want other people to know the truth. We want them to know the ultimate reality of our existence is there. They may choose to believe that it's there, but we're sharing it. Because it is truth. We anchor ourselves in this truth again through scripture. Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Our faith grows as we read scripture. Galatians 3.5 So then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or is it by believing or having faith in what you have heard or what you've read? Again, God working through us is not because we check every box and we do everything right, but it's because of the faith that we have in what we've read and who he says that he is and how our lives ought to be. Colossians 3.16, Let the word, the logos of Christ, dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Does it dwell richly in our lives? Again, if we're convinced that the ultimate true reality is God exists, he's spoken to us and then says, this is the reality of existence. This is how to follow me. This is what to avoid. If we truly believe this, this ought to dwell richly among us. And again, not be this, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. But rather, because this is true. Because this points to my salvation. This gives me my hope. This shows me my true reality in Christ. Every decision that I now face, says, does it line up with that or not? And it's not restrictive, but it's life-giving. 1 Peter 1.3, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring 
word of God. John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in the, this book or the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you have life in his name. This book that we have is life. It is truth. It, it helps us to understand what God has actually done in our lives through salvation. It, it gives us waypoints and anchor points that show clearly that we're not to have shame in our lives but that we're to receive forgiveness and grace and love through Jesus Christ. It closes and shows us clearly the things that we are to avoid that are sin. And also shows us the power that's at work within us to resist that sin and to be a light in the world. This book, though, unfortunately, can sometimes be a dust collector as it sits on our shelves. Let's not let that happen. If, if this is life, if this is truth, if this shows me who I am, I cannot be passive in the way that I approach it or how I look to it or how I'm anchored in it. If I'm tossed around by the world, this is something I can go back to and remind myself of who Christ is, what he's done, and who I am, and what his promises will be. This is what God has chosen to give us to face anything that happens in this life. Do we treat the book that way? Do we treat his word that way? It's the truth of what it is. And so I love that the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself said that we're sanctified by truth. We're set aside by his work on the cross, but we stay set aside by walking according to truth. And we can only do that by holding the truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you again uh, for this holy word that's in front of us. I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would give us uh, revelation, uh, a deep abiding revelation, how infinitely valuable this is to us, that there would be no condemnation uh, or shame over not treating it the way that it ought to be, but rather that revelation of like, oh, I need that more, and we just are hungry for it. That we'd be like the psalmist who said, how sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. That it would be this living water that refreshes us, that strengthens us, that reveals truth to us. Lord, I pray that you help us to be more anchored in it. Not out of legalism, not out of trying to check off the boxes. But simply out of, we want to know you more. We want to know your love more. We want to know what you think of us more. We want to live sanctified, set aside to the glory of Christ and not ours. Help us to set aside our lives to follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.